Welcome back to the Family Matters Podcast. It has been a while, a year and a half actually, but with this pandemic going on, we thought, you know what, it's time to record. Takes a pandemic. (laughs) Yes, back on the air. Right. (laughs) So we today are going to be talking about thriving and motherhood. Dads, don't tune us out because this can be helpful for you too. In fact, I believe it will be. So with the pandemic, we are all home a lot more. Some work schedules have changed to where you might be working from home. Anyways, we've found ourselves around our family members quite a bit more, I would say. Mm -hmm. That's true for just about everybody. And we thought that due to that, it would be wise to talk about parenting, talk about motherhood in particular. So Kendra, do you want to go ahead and, and kind of introduce why we're discussing this? Sure. Early on in the pandemic, I thought it was interesting to see um, a whole country full of working moms suddenly become not just stay-at-home moms, but homeschool moms. And like, what a change. Maybe some people listening to this have been in that category. A huge shift in roles, particularly for mothers, although for, for fathers as well. And a lot of articles saying, you know, how to cope with your children at home or how to deal with having your kids with you all the time. And I was struck by how sad those headlines were. Like, wow, is it is like just being with your children like that that much of a, a burden, a difficulty? And clearly it is, or we wouldn't be writing and reading articles about it. Um, but clearly, like people are feeling really stressed, people are feeling really burdened. And Again, as a sociologist, I'm thinking, well, moms 100 years ago had five times as many kids and no dishwasher, and they seem to be doing okay. (laughs) So what what have we done that's that's making it so much harder? And and really, we can look at this in one of two ways. Either parenting has gotten harder, like the actual task of parenting is actually more difficult than our home on the prairie uh, ancestors, or there's something about the way we are thinking about parenting or the way we view parenting or the way we view children that has changed and has made things more difficult because it is true that mothers are more unhappy today than they used to be and you know that's anybody's guess there's probably lots of contributing factors so we wanted to talk about this when you're with your kids all the time especially this might be a, a, a particularly relevant topic for many people, it certainly is for us. So we wanted to talk about how does your experience of motherhood, how is it shaped by your cultural paradigms? How is it shaped by the way you think about being a mother or what you, how you think about your kids? Kendra, do you want to explain to us really quick, what is a, when you say cultural paradigm, what do you mean by that? Oh yeah, I'd love to talk about this. So a paradigm is a lens that you look through the world through, I, I like a pair of glasses. Uh, if you have a purple pair of glasses on or a yellow pair of glasses on, it makes everything you see change into that color. And your paradigm is influenced by your your background, your culture, your gender, your religion, and it affects how we see the things around us and it colors everything. So if you're an environmentalist, you're likely to see environmental issues in every news article, you know, as opposed to if you're a, a police officer, you're going to read those same news articles in a different paradigm, as opposed to if you're a religious leader, so you have a spirit. And regardless of the paradigm you take, you're still looking at the same set of facts, right? So the glass is half full, the glass is half empty. It's still the same glass. You're still looking at the same information. But which of those two perspectives you see is going to have major consequences in your life. And our paradigm of motherhood is different than it used to be in in lots of ways that we're going to talk about today. Is that is that a decent explanation? So kind of your framework. Yes. Yeah. And I love that. And you you mentioned to me earlier before recording this that you've read a book recently that discusses how paradigms have such a huge influence on our experiences, on our happiness. Could you talk about that for a bit? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a book by John Ivers. I actually <laughs> called For Deep Thinkers Only, How Culture Manipulates Your Reality. Terrible title. And it's, it's a terrible way. title. <laughs> But it's talking about sort of cultural awareness. And um, he says uh, just a couple of quotes that really jumped out at me. Uh, Cultural paradigms wield a remarkable potential to both manage and limit our view of the world, ourselves and others. We're kind of forced into viewing our world 
through these paradigms that our culture has provided us. As we grow, other people tell us what reality is like, how we should be, how we should think, how much self-esteem we should have. There's lots of great examples. You know, if you're fat in Latin America, it's not a bad thing. It certainly isn't a bad thing in Uganda. When we used to be there, the fattest girl in our group was the most popular one amongst the uh, Ugandan men. But because being overweight is so stigmatized in our culture, the same fact, which is being overweight, it can lead to different outcomes depending on your cultural paradigm. Um, and the same thing is true with motherhood. The vast majority of our paradigms are hanging out in our subconscious mind. We're not really, you don't know that they're there because they're assumptions. They're baked into the way you think and you don't think about the way you think very mm -hmm. often. Um, so he says, the vast majority of cultural paradigms tend to hang out in our subconscious mind and rarely penetrate the world of consciousness where they could theoretically be examined. We just know that certain things are supposed to be unpleasant and we accept such feelings as self-evident and universal. He says, much suffering is culturally engendered. So for example, I might think that it is a suffering unpleasant thing for me have to stay up with a child who is sick and sing to them and rock them and hold them whereas that might be seen as a positive thing in another culture or just an incidental part of life I might see it as a big bother that I have to do laundry and dishes whereas again it's just seen as part of life in other cultures and it's not a negative thing I may see it as a bad thing that I can't also have a job and work full-time or at least part-time that I'm just a stay-at-home mom that might seem like a, a bother or like an unpleasant thing or something I'm embarrassed about that's not true in other cultures it's only true in our culture because of our paradigm and so again my suffering is culturally engendered and not universally true in culturally bound self-esteem there are some winners and a lot of losers isn't that cool so does that make sense yeah you, and I, I think one of the most powerful things we can do is recognize the lens through which we see the world we need to examine our thoughts and question their validity. Are they exaggerated? Are they true? Is taking the time to let your two-year-old buckle their seatbelt really going to kill you? Because sometimes you feel that way and you get angry because <laughs> of it. But is it really going to kill you? That thought? No, it's not true. So this process of examining and questioning our normal thought patterns is essentially cognitive behavioral therapy. And that's a whole nother slew that we're not really going to talk about today. But it's just a useful way for helping ourselves achieve different results within our lives. We live in a culture today Clearly, I mean, you can see it in every movie about a mother of more than one child, basically. We live in a culture that has taught us that being a mother is a stressful mm -hmm. experience. It is stressful and it's hard and it's painful. And wow, like that's a paradigm. If you're carrying that around with you, mm -hmm. obviously it's going to influence your happiness just as much as believing that being fat makes you a worse person is going to influence your happiness in the United States versus Uganda. Exactly. And if you don't believe that, I dare you to find me a mainstream article from a mainstream news source that says something along the lines of, isn't it so awesome and great that we get to be home with our kids more? Isn't that just right? so relaxing <laughs> and wonderful? Like something that celebrates that. Yeah. I seriously. dare you to find me one. Please do. I would love to read it because that is not what we are hearing and that's a problem yeah there's almost this badge of honor the stress it almost becomes a badge of honor it's like yeah this is really really hard and like man how do people handle this you know it's just i don't know i don't know if that's good for kids yeah and you know before again we started recording we were talking about how our culture our society does not prepare us for motherhood for something that a majority of women experience we sure are not prepared. We're not taught We're not. to be mothers. It's really not. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Like, okay, so I, I don't know, Jackie, if you felt this way in school, but when you found out that somebody was getting a degree because it, they said, oh, you know, I could be a stay-at-home mom and be a, you know, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. whatever that job was, or if they were getting a degree in family and home studies, you know, there was often a stigma around that, like, oh, you just want to be a mom and like, don't want to get a real job. I don't know. There, there was definitely a stigma against oh, that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'll tell a really quick story about that. So yeah, when please. I, so I grew up with a stay at home mom who was just awesome and so great. And so 
and I always have wanted to be a mom and I and I I was one of those girls in high school that you know I wanted to go ahead and get my education and have a career of some sort but I also really looked forward to the day that I'd have kids and I wanted to stay home with them if that was possible for me and anyways I mentioned this once to a guidance counselor in high school and what he and he said oh no you haven't found your niche yet don't worry once you find out what you want to do then you you'll go off and do that and you know just mentioning that I would like to pursue motherhood was reacted to so negatively and anyways yeah I, it's treated like a failure yeah almost. exactly like oh you gave up on your dreams you gave up on your real on your life on your goals your in, your pursuits you're just gonna settle and be a mom mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ouch, right? Yeah. <laughs> Again, kind of insulting to children. Yeah. Go ahead, Jackie. Sorry. So there's a there's a really great leader in the church that Kendra and I attend. And his wife passed away a couple of years ago. And in reflecting on her life, he just talked about her role as a mom. And, and he said something that I know really affected you, Kendra. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So in this sermon, he's talking about his wife and how much he misses her and just talks about how much her life had been dedicated to service. He said that homemaking was really the only career she ever pursued. And he said she was in every aspect a consummate professional. And that line just really jumped out at me. I guess I'd never really thought about professionalism when I thought about motherhood. And I don't actually remember anything else about the talk, but, you know, there are certainly things about professionalism and having a career mindset that are some potentially negative things as well, which we'll talk about. But in this respect, we are not prepared to be professional mothers. Like, I I think if we were, like, if I really treated, I don't know about you, Jackie, but like, I feel like when I have bad days and I I whine a lot and I'll just lay in bed and I'm like, it's so hard and I'm so tired. And But if this was my job, like if I was getting paid to do this and I was a professional that had like been vetted and hired and I was you know, reporting to important people, if that was the case, I would stop whining and I would do my job. And I feel like because motherhood is seen as something less, we are not prepared for it at all. Um, I was, we were looking up books to prepare for this podcast and I found a lot of books by sort of self-declared feminist authors who, who say something like in the description of the book, you know, I had never expected to be a mom or being a mom was the farthest thing from my mind. You know, I was busy doing such and such, you know, traveling the world, writing books. And then I became a mom and wow, it was just this overwhelming and uh, enormous experience. And like, yes, it is an overwhelming and enormous and amazing experience and crazy, but like, isn't it weird that we wear our lack of preparation for motherhood as a badge of honor mm-hmm. it's just kind of silly like it would be just as silly to say like oh i i have to be a doctor and work in the er oh i'm so overwhelmed it's like well you have no training of course you're gonna feel overwhelmed um my son has been kind of on a peter pan kick lately and i haven't seen peter pan for like at, like i don't know 20 years and now that you know he's old enough to to know what's going on and appreciate it it's been interesting to sort of pay attention to a portrayal of women as as children see them, I guess you could say, in the early 1900s. And I, I remember thinking, as I was watching the movie, Wendy, once we overlook the many awkward uh, instances of female jealousy in the movie, <laughs> Wendy's actually a really impressive character, and she is a leader among the Lost Boys and Peter Pan. And she's the one who has a good head on her shoulders. She's the one who has principles. And the way that they... Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, and the way that they honor her is by saying she's a mother. She's their mother. Yes, exactly. She's a mother. And she even sings this beautiful song about how amazing mothers are and the pirates who are hiding outside the hideout. They're also crying. Like, because being a mother is such a powerful image to even these people who don't have mothers. Like, that is such a powerful image. And near the end, when the boys all get captured and the pirates are like, you got to join the pirates or you'll walk the plank and who's with us? And all the boys are like, okay. And and Wendy's like, no, we won't do that. And like, she convinces them all that it's better to walk the plank than to become a pirate. Wow, like, that is so impressive. Anyway, I'm, I'm dwelling on this too long. But the point is, I remember watching the movie and thinking, you know what? I bet Wendy became 
a really great mom. What lucky kids she must have had. And again, compared with kind of these popular books by these powerful women, educated, you know, amazing, intelligent, powerful women who are totally unprepared for the role of motherhood. I'm, I'm not saying whether or not we should be teaching home ec in high schools, but I think a fundamental lack of preparation for motherhood leaves many of us unnecessarily overwhelmed with the job when it arrives. And it's just as reasonable to be angry that we can't fulfill such demands as it would be if we were angry at stepping on rocks as we attempt to climb a mountain in bare feet, or like I said, be angry and overwhelmed at our job in an ER when we have no medical experience or education. Yes. And we've touched on this, but what's more, not only are we not taught about what it means to be a mother, what it means to do the day in day work of nurturing little people, but we're taught to look down on that and that the work necessary for Mm -hmm. nurturing is somehow less than. There's a really great article by Kathleen Slow Bauer. I'm not sure how to say her name, but the show notes will have all the information and Sherry A. Loveless and it's entitled Family Work. And the author discusses her childhood in a large family in a large family that worked on a farm. Their family's goal was to thrive and to bring this about. Everyone had to participate in the family work and the growing of the food and the harvesting and the preparing that food and tending to the home, caring for the children. The parents oversaw these efforts and everyone participated. Mopping the floors was was not seen as menial, but as an important part of helping the family enjoy a clean home and thus thrive. But she says, quote, when I went to graduate school, I learned that not everyone considered this pattern of family life ideal. At the university, much of what I read and heard belittled family work. Feminist historians reminded us students that men had long been liberated from farm and family work, and now women were also to be liberated. One professor taught that assigning the task of nurturing children primarily to women was the root of women's oppression. I was told that women must be liberated from these onerous family tasks so that, so that they might be free to work for money. Today, many social and political forces continue the devaluation of family work, encouraging the belief that family work is the province of the exploited and the powerless. Chief among these forces is the idea that because money is power, one's salary is the true Mm -hmm. indication of one's worth. Another is that the important work of the world is visible and takes place in the public sphere, in offices, factories, and government government buildings. According to this ideology, if one wants to make a difference in the world, one must do it through participation in the world of paid work. End quote. So when you are subconsciously taught that family work is boring, belittling, slave labor, it is easy to feel dissatisfied and resentful of the time needed for it. For example, if your five-year-old has an anger issue and you need to help them, this takes planning, it takes vigilance, it takes patience, it takes diligence. It's not work that you'll get a raise for or that anyone will necessarily even notice. So is it not important? If you have... Yeah, that would be like saying that SWAT teams are, don't do important work because no one ever sees Exactly, work, and if you, know? you have the thought that the value you bring to the world is represented by the amount of money you make, then this sort of work, this parenting, this quiet nurturing that takes over time, it's going to feel frustrating. Or if money and recognition mm-hmm. represents the power you have, then again, that diligent work necessary for helping your five-year-old with anger issues will feel like a tedious waste of time. But... If you think that you are in an incredible position of influence and that virtue and that by virtue of the love and security you represent to your child, you have more power over their life than anything, then you will feel the worth of what you're spending your time on. And what Kendra and I want to offer to you today is another way of looking at your work as a mother. Kendra and I believe that all people of all ages, have infinite potential and possibilities, that we are all on a journey of becoming something incredible, and that the work of helping another soul become is significant. And as a mother, you are in a Mm -hmm. position of incredible influence over the development of another human being. From the time they're the littlest embryo, you have such an influence. You know, when my little boy was a newborn baby. I've touched on this in previous episodes, but he had meningitis and he was a week old when he came down with meningitis. And he was, his little world was full of pain. 
And that was, you know, his his experience here in Earth Life was pain and, you know, not really sure what was going on. And I felt so strongly that the most important thing I could do with my time is sit and hold him and be with him and be close enough for him to smell me and and to feel me. Because to him, I represented hope. I represented that there was goodness in this world, that all would be well because I was what he knew. And anyone looking on at that could have easily thought, oh, she's not doing anything right now. But to that little baby boy, Mm -hmm. I was doing everything. And that is influence. Mm -hmm. That is power. It's not something that I will be paid for or that will be written down in, you know, the halls of fame. But but that is influence. And we need to recognize that. There's another great quote um, by Neil A. Maxwell. When the real history of mankind is fully disclosed, will it feature the echoes of gunfire or the shaping sound of lullabies? He says, will what happened in cradles and kitchens prove to be more controlling than what happened in Congresses? I love that quote because it, it just reminds me again, there's, there is great power here that often goes unacknowledged. And can we just actually back up a second and talk about just the creation of life? Like, holy cow, we never spend enough time. Anytime I hear somebody say, you know, I'm more than just a uterus. First of all, it hurts my feelings. And second of all, I, I think, you know, if Superman came and was like, you know what, guys? I'm more than just a superhero, okay? And nobody ever appreciates my stamp collection. And everybody always just focuses on how I have unlimited power and speed and I can fly. And I'm like, that's what it sounds like. And I'm, I'm not saying that we don't also have other goals and other pursuits that are incredible and important. Hello, Kendra is a have, professor of sociology, you guys. Yeah, we've grossly, grossly undervalued just the fundamental, incredible, magical superpower that it is to, to be a mother, to birth children. In fact, um, did anybody else watch Moana when uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, what's his character's name? Maui? Maui talks about uh, he stole the heart of Tafiti and it's so incredible because it gives you the power to create life. D- did anybody else and think, like, well, well I- I've got that too. <laughs> like, Half of humankind has that, Maui. So, like, yes. anyway, but, but like, let's just think about that some more. Think about the, the power that you have, again, to, to create life, to, to change the world through your nurturing. Um, of that life. Like, w- what an, an enormous power that is. We, we need to see the future of society that is sitting in our high chairs. Yes. Uh, maybe with a, a little more clarity than we do now. Yes. And again, as you touched on, acknowledging that power and that influence and the importance of it in no way takes away from other interests and pursuits that you have as a woman. I I think sometimes we think that in order for women to have the space they need and desire to grow and learn and produce other good in society, that we somehow need to diminish motherhood. And I just don't understand that because I think there yeah. is room enough for both to be the influence, an influencer and a creator of people and also an influencer and creator of other good things and that our motherhood only mm-hmm. enhances our ability to do that good within the world. So, so. Yeah. I think uh, you mentioned earlier about kind of our career mindset. Part of the paradigm that I think is, is harmful um, because we are taught from a very early age to be career oriented if you don't believe me think of how many times you were asked what you want to be when you grow up third grade fifth grade like like what you want to be when you grow up is like a constant question that is i I mean this this goes beyond even this discussion and more about sort of how american society in general is structured around one's career um it is far more common so, you know, in the United States, sorry, this is a brief tangent, but like you say, you know, tell me about yourself. What do you do for work? You know, that's a pretty common question. In Latin America, it's far more common to ask somebody about their family mm-hmm. right up front. So anyway, again, just sort of our career mindset um, has also bled into sort of our cultural paradigms about parenting. There's a couple of ways. One of them is if you are thinking in terms of a career, you're used to sort of time and space limited demands, right? There's a certain point at which your day is over, you clock out, you put down your phone, whatever. And like, if you've been a parent, that there doesn't exist. are no <laughs> limits on your space and time. If you've ever wiped a poopy butt or had somebody wake you up in the middle of the night, like 
there's no there's no privacy (laughs) there's no your time it's just all the time but if you're expecting that you are on and off then you're going to feel resentment when your kid wakes up at you know yes you're going to feel resentful exactly yes and it's we also feel more task oriented uh in jobs which is like the opposite of parenting i I heard i saw a great meme the other day said insanity is doing the same thing expecting different outcomes parenting is doing the same thing and getting different outcomes (laughs) yep (laughs) parenting is just kind of a crazy thing like the the son that loves uh peter pan is also potty training right now and it's been a long long road Mm -hmm. it's still going on and this is not my favorite part of parenting. I'm not going to lie. This is a tough, I feel like the thing, first one is super hard. Okay, sorry. Keep going. It probably is. That's probably true. Um, and so obviously, like, our focus needs to not be on tasks. Our focus needs to be on people. So that's one way in which our paradigm needs to shift. And can I just chime in about that yeah, really, please. really quick? Because I think that that is an important thing that should sink in. I know for myself... If my goal in the day is, okay, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to get this and this and this and this and this done. And if and then my kids just get in the way of that. And yeah, there were lots right? of times, you know, for the first four years of my parenting, I was finishing up my degree. And I would have days where I was very stressed out because I had things to do. But I had to learn that if I could focus on the people in my family first, then their needs would be met and my ability to get the most important tasks done was enhanced and I was happier. Whereas if I only wanted to get my stuff done, then I saw my children as interruptions and not as little people wanting my love. And and seeing them as interruptions makes my day as a parent miserable. Yeah. You mentioned you had had an interaction with somebody earlier on during the quarantine that, that kind of felt that way. Do you want to tell that story? I'm vaguely remembering this. Okay, so this was a really sweet person that I met who had actually recently been, I don't know if it was laid off or what happened, but she was all this, as a working mom, she was home with her kids and and she was very lost and struggling because she felt like she didn't know who she was anymore and also she was used to having all these things that she needed to do all day but now you know parenting is a different sort of model and she was struggling with an identity crisis and on what her day was to look like as a mom and she thought maybe this is just an opportunity for me to focus on myself more but then she was getting frustrated because in her pursuit of focusing on herself more her kids just kept getting in the way and I don't know about you Kendra but I completely related to that because going from being a full-time student and working two jobs to you know having about 16 14 hour days full of tasks that I could accomplish and see going from that to then all of a sudden being a full-time stay-at-home mom it is a shift in, in what does really, it mean really to be is. productive? What does it mean to be accomplishing something? Yes. And and again, what we're trying to offer to you is to rewrite what those things mean. Does it mean that I got X yeah. amount of loads done or an influencing Instagram post or something? You know, what is being productive and accomplished mean as a mother? Yes, we need to change the way we look mm-hmm. at productivity. I love that. Yeah, we need to change the way we evaluate productivity. We need to change the way we evaluate um, mm-hmm. value. Uh, you know, h- how do we decide whether something is important or worthwhile or mm-hmm. worth our time? Absolutely. Some of it is just learning to see the good. I wanted to talk about time. Uh, kids are not very efficient. Nope. <laughs> kids are not efficient. Let's just get that out of the open. And we're, like, and we're taught to efficient. put efficiency on this pedestal of that's what you want. Absolutely. And so if you're not efficient, then that's a negative. Well, is it? You know? For- right. Exactly. Like that. But it's very logical. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, do you want to talk more about that? I'll, you know, we see time as a resource. This was also in the article. Um, I'm sorry, not the article. This is by the book by John Ivers. Um, and uh, he just talked about how Americans have a monochromatic sense of time, that we see time as a resource to be used and expended. And other cultures don't. Like they have a polychromatic view of time and that it's not like time gets wasted or used or 
maximized, you know, uh, and, and because of that, this, this obsession with being fast and efficient is not as prevalent in other cultures. And because children don't necessarily do things in the most efficient way, it's really easy for us from this paradigm that we have of time to see children as wasting time mm-hmm. if not theirs theirs then ours you know uh, again same thing with the the task oriented we need to learn how to be people oriented to nurture them to love them and not just that but to delight in them so mm-hmm. I want to tell a story I was having a, a really hard time actually several years ago um Uh, My husband and I uh, tried to have kids for quite a while. And one of the reasons I feel pretty strongly about this subject is because of how long it took to get here. And we had a really good friend who came over with two um, clickers. I don't know what they're called. Uh, Counters. They're called counters. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The thing when you go in the theater, the people like click the thing and it just counts numbers basically. Mm -hmm. And he said, I want you to take these and just count every time you have a positive thought. And whoever has the most positive thoughts at the end of the week will win a candy bar. And he was going to pay for the candy bar. (laughs) And it was kind of silly, but it really, this changed my life in a major way. I, I suddenly, because I was focusing on my positive thoughts, my positive thoughts increased. And the other day, Uh, during the pandemic when I'm feeling overwhelmed and I'm stressed and I'm very much focused on negative things weirdly one of my kids found the counter and it was in the toy box and randomly put it on top of a counter somewhere like it was almost like God was just sort of handing it back to me saying here (laughs) remember this and I just had this thought like why don't I count every time my children do something that brings me joy and I, I did it. I, I, I started carrying it around and wow, there are so many things my children do every hour of the day that are delightful and hilarious and so cute and indescribable. My <laughs> one-year-old right now says the cutest things ever, but none of them are actually words, <laughs> you know, so I can't actually write them down or like, tell, and then she did this. Yes. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. like um, I was cracking eggs and... She was sitting in the clip-on chair on the counter next to me as I'm cracking eggs. And every time I'd crack an egg, she would just go, oh, oh, look, like the thing came out again. (laughs) She was so ecstatic that this this egg was inside of the, you know, the yolk and the whites came out. And like, it was so funny. Like, Jackie, I wish you could have been there. It was so cute. It was so funny. And there's another click on my counter. Mm-hmm. When I did that, it changed my whole day. It changed my week. It changed everything. I, you know, when I decided that I was going to delight in my children, when I, de- mm-hmm. when I decided that I was going to find the joy that I believe God wants us to find there. I, I mean, whether you're uh, a Christian or not, there are a zillion references to posterity and, and having seed and finding joy in your seed. Like clearly this is something that lots of people find joy in their children. And so if we're not finding joy, maybe we're just not looking hard enough for it. Yep. You know? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and I think that sometimes it is wise to take a step back and just because you have to conscientiously look for the joy doesn't mean that, it's not there. I think sometimes we can get trapped in patterns of negative thinking and it's powerful to do things that cause us, that disrupt that and remind us to look for the joy. As you're talking about your little girl's delight in the eggs coming out, I'm just reminded, you know, in our family, this may sound a little strange, but we are just completely in love with my little baby girl's legs in her little booty <laughs> is that weird to say <laughs> it's just that my I had three little boys and they were skinny little things and just the cutest skinny strong little things and then we got this cute girl and she's actually got baby rolls and I cannot even describe to you how much I love them they make me so happy <laughs> and it's like how do I describe that to people who I just I I change her bum, I, ch- I see her little legs, and they just make me so happy. So it's these little things. Take notice of them. Delight in them. Find the joy. And if you're searching, if you're looking for joy in your parenting, 
it's as easy as just stopping and taking notice of the little things your kids do that yeah. that teach you how to be present, how to enjoy the moment, how to sit mm-hmm. down and look at the ants as they find their food and just be so intrigued by that. Like kids are just such a good example of enjoying life. So and being in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. And like experiencing the now. They're amazing at that. Like gosh, if there's any mindfulness clinic I've ever been to or, or class on meditation, it always talks about being present. And kids remind us of that mm-hmm. every, through their own example. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we ought to follow that. And please hear me. When you stop to just sit and be with your kids and play with them and enjoy them, you are not wasting time. You are not being inefficient. Yeah. You are not being unproductive. Mm-hmm. And we need to remember that. It's almost like if we could carry around a counter for our children's happiness, our, our children's joy. Like, click, you know, click every time they are loving what you are doing, how much they are enjoying having you there. I turn on the TV for my son when I need to go do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we have a certain time of the day that that happens. And the other day I realized that um, he really just wanted me to sit next to him. Mm-hmm. And so I did. So I sat and watched PJ masks on the couch and I just kind of held him because he's a snuggler and gosh that just made his day he was so happy like you said with Max and the meningitis we we need to put more value on the things that our children value and if we really I mean one of the thing one of the strategies we're going to talk about is seeing things through through your children's eyes and if you see time as your children see time and your time, especially, uh, parents' attention and time is like money to kids. And the more of it we can give, the more joy they will have. And to be honest, the fewer struggles we will have as a parent. In fact, we had did a whole podcast about spending time with our kids and seeing the good is actually a major strategy for improving behavior <laughs> if, if that's one of the things that we're running up against. Mm-hmm. And participating in a little yeah. person's life like that is valuable in the sense that you're helping them feel loved and nurtured and nourished and that will help them become a better person and then go on to leave wonderful lives. How many issues in the world today are there because we just have these grown-up children who didn't have enough time feeling seen and heard and loved and known? Mm, Yes, I love that. Yeah, and and maybe that's what we need to say as we're loving our children and quote-unquote wasting time, you know, snuggling them, laughing with them. Maybe we need to think of all the people that my child is going to bless someday because of the joy that he's feeling right now. Because of Th- this think of tank the that love is that full. he's going to have for others because we're filling up his tank right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, think of the influence that he's going to have because he understands what it means to be safe and secure and understood mm-hmm. by the people that matter and to And that him. is value. Yeah, that's value. Yes. I had someone tell me once that value is measured by money. And that is one way to measure value. But I just bristled at that because... There's so much value that we add to the world that has nothing to do mm-hmm. with money. And I would say that that is one. Snuggling on the couch with your son, watching PJ Masks, being with him, hearing him, holding mm-hmm. him, that is value. Yeah, one of the things that I realized lately about how we see children, a paradigm that needs to change, is how we see children as commodities, okay? Ever since we obtained the ability to control birth, having children is seen as something that you chose to do and therefore something you should be held accountable for and you're responsible for. And so if if we see somebody not doing a very good job as a parent, we're like, well, you should have thought of that before you had one more or what, you know, like you get, you get that idea. So it's, it's a commodity. It's something that you have for fun. Um, and those of us who have children know that children are not commodities. It's not, they're not toys. They're not pets. Um, they're not investments, even. They're not something for you. They're not trophies. Either. Trophies, exactly. They're not something to make. F- they're not extensions of yourself. Right. I I've been reading a book that um, I will just not name, but uh, it's kind of a classic feminist treatise on motherhood, and she talks about her children as objects that influence her life. And the whole book, it feels like, is all about the influence of her children on her and like her happiness, her peace of mind her goals and there's very little discussion about her kids and like their well-being and like their peace of mind and their futures when we see our children in terms of us 
Um, there's a wonderful mm-hmm. book. Well, there's a series of books by the Arbinger Institute. Jackie, are you familiar with them? Yes. Uh, Leadership and Self-Deception, uh, Bonds That Make Us Free, The Peace Giver, lots of books. And they all kind of address mm-hmm. the same point. When we see our children as things, and by things we mean investments, commodities, trophies, pets. We can't be a person with them. We can't see them as a person. How we are towards people influences them more than the specific words that we say or the specific actions that we take. You can tell when someone doesn't like you and it really doesn't matter what words come out of their mouth, right? And so when we see our children as obstacles to getting what we want or irrelevant to to what we want, it's still always about us. Um, And this Mm -hmm. takes us back to what we were talking about earlier, which is why can't we let's make the focus about them instead of about us and what we're getting done or what's whether we're, you know, our tasks are are getting accomplished. Um, And part of it, I think, is also just sort of our crazy American individuality. We, we are so obsessed with, you know, am I meeting my goals? Am I fulfilling my potential? And props to Maslow, who was an awesome, awesome guy. But he kind of, you know, spawned this idea that, you know, the, the pinnacle of happiness and greatness is you becoming the person that you were meant to be. And there's not a lot of focus on other people. In fact, David Brooks, in his book, The Road to Character, actually talks about uh, talks about the lies of meritocracy in America. Uh, he says, even the book, Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss, it's all about you, you, the individual going to pursue your goals and dreams all by yourself. And that's just not, that's not how life is. And again, that's a, a paradigm that is very American that we don't have to use. We don't have to use that. I, mm-hmm. I have a, a weird fetish with the Amish. Uh, Jackie knows this. And part of it is because (laughs) the Amish, the Amish really walk the walk. I mean, they really do. They get it. They, they get it. They understand (laughs) the, the importance of community. So another paradigm that we might be able to change that would really help us, I think as mothers is our total failure to engage in community. I remember hearing uh, several years ago, a mom who was, she was talking about something else, but she just mentioned in passing how lonely she's been. And she has a, a little toddler. And I remember thinking, I didn't say this out loud, but I remember thinking, you know, one of our other mutual friends lives like two doors down from you in the same apartment complex. And she also has a little toddler. Like, why don't you guys get together? <laughs> because that would serve at least three purposes. Number one, your kids could play with each other. So you don't have to constantly come up with things to do to entertain them. Number two, you've got an adult to talk to, so you don't feel like you're going crazy and you're isolated. And number three, she could probably watch both kids while you go take a shower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I think, again, our, our obsession with ourselves and, and doing things independently has made us lose some of the natural, obvious resources that are just lying around us. Mm-hmm. Again, you have two moms who are independently coming up with things for their kids to do, independently trying to find ways to not go crazy, independently trying to find time to take a shower. And it could very simply be solved by us accessing the resources around us, which are the people in our lives, our family members. Yes, but our friends, then Kendra, our she would see that her friend would see that she's not perfect and that she doesn't have a perfectly yeah, messy house, right? house in life and that everything's not instagram perfect and and i think that you know along with this i think one of the reasons we fail to engage in community is because we have this unrealistic view of what it looks like to be succeeding at motherhood or succeeding at life and that view is everything must be perfect and just so and i must be killing it all by myself and understanding that not only is that not real but it's also harmful i would say is a key to better engaging in community. If you were okay with your friends seeing your laundry strewn out over your couch, then you don't mind them coming over to sit and chat and maybe even help you fold, you know? And I think, you know, it's interesting how for a job that is inherently relational, we sure seem to be struggling with the importance of relationships. Yes. I think as women we are more relational. We're more social beings and relationships help us to thrive. And so let's rely on them. Let's build communities. Yeah. I mean, it's not a myth that it takes a village to raise a child, but it it takes a village to support a family. And Mm -hmm. I think if there was ever a job that we weren't meant to do alone, 
it is being a mom. We have a lot of myths, again, part of this cultural paradigm that we live with, which is that being a good mom means devoting all my time and attention, uh, being in my house, being alone. And and those are three things that are frankly not true. And maybe there are a lot mm-hmm. of people listening to this that don't struggle with any of those three but I know lots and lots of women who do and they don't even think about it they don't even think about it and again if you're surrounded with other women who feel the same way then I can see why that's difficult um, but the, like I said the Amish get this they, they get that the benefits of community may require the sacrifice of indi- individualism and we've just forgotten how to do this we've, we've just forgotten that ultimately giving up some of our individual comfort our ability to do things by ourselves in order to rely on others and have them rely on us is ultimately going to be so beneficial for both us and our kids and our spouses um, I had a friend who sent me this article called in, in praise of scruffy hospitality. It's wonderful. Uh, scruffy hospitality means you're not waiting for everything in your house to be in order before you host and have people in your home. And it mm-hmm. says, if we only share meals with friends when we're excellent, we aren't truly sharing life together. Mm-hmm. Again, people in other cultures with other cultural paradigms get this because their lives are structured around those ideas. In Uganda, people are outside all the time because they live in these little tiny grass huts. And so they're cooking together. They're doing their laundry together all outside in this community space. The kids are all playing with each other. And so they are naturally creating community support for one another without even trying. Anyway, so, but the point is we need to see the people around us as members of the same team and that we are meant to rely on one another in order to help make parenting Mm -hmm. a wonderful experience Mm -hmm. and to strengthen our families absolutely yeah so we've been you know we've mentioned the importance of community there are other strategies that can help stressed and impatient moms because i think we've done a good job of helping you you know you listener to question the paradigms that you have about parenting and you know you're seeing yeah motherhood it's important but sometimes it just feels so hard so Mm -hmm. what should i do And here just, you know, we're not going to have time to really go deeply into all of these. We'll do that in future episodes. But just some throwing out some strategies. One thing, and these come from Dr. Wallace Goddard. So one idea is put yourself in your children's shoes as they are doing things. Let me give you an example, okay? So my little, today today we, we went to the pool and we spent hours at the pool just playing and I just wanted my kids to get that wonderful tired outness that comes from playing in water in summertime all day right and so on the way home Mm -hmm. from the pool my little boy and this was my parents pool by the way we weren't obviously pools are closed right now my little two-year-old fell asleep and um, we laid him down for a little bit at home and then he just woke up so disoriented exhausted you know that cranky toddler waking up where they really need to sleep more but they won't (laughs) and he was just (laughs) in the way that my little two-year-old manifests his disorientation and confusion is he gets angry if things aren't going right for him he's mad and you know what that's how i manifest my my disorientation exactly uh, exactly (laughs) right and i had a moment of oh no and you know we call him mad max because he's got a strong little personality and I'm excited to see what this boy does because gosh he's gonna he's gonna do things because he is stubborn and anyways Mad Max was coming out and I was like oh no I don't have I gotta make dinner I gotta do these tasks I don't have time for Mad Max right now and my thought was oh I just I wanted to say Max just stop being grumpy stop it yeah be happy you know but then I had put myself in his shoes Mad Max is disoriented he's tired his schedule's all off He's, he's hungry. He barely ate lunch. He was too excited swimming. And, you know, and when I saw life from his perspective, I knew that if I were him, I would just want to be held. So you know what? I just held him. And it was what it was. And dinner was a little bit later. And that's okay. And I let him kind of come to and have that time. And anyways, I think so often we just want to react to our kids because we perceive them as getting in our way. When if we would just stop and think about their life in that moment from their own perspective, we would know how to help them. Yeah. And there's not necessarily a formula. Like I I think we all want to have a formula. Like, okay, if my child does this, this is how I react. Like this is the correct answer to this behavior problem. And I've certainly learned over time, and I'm sure you have as well, it is different. Every child is different. Different (laughs) days are different. Like, 
Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was a behavior specialist. We had a lot about, you know, don't reinforce bad behavior. And, and, um, in the spirit of that, we were trying to have my, my potty training child, uh, change his own, you know, pull up and, and his own, his own mess, clean up his own mess. And, but he was so traumatized by, by messing his pants. He felt so bad about it that it, you know, we weren't reinforcing bad behavior. We were trying to comfort a child who felt really bad about having failed at potty training that day, you know, and, and that's what he needed. You know what? Maybe that's not what every child needs, but if you pay attention, like you said, put yourself in that child, that specific child's shoes in that specific instance, you have a better idea of what to do in that moment. And you'll probably feel a little more empathy and love. Another mm-hmm. thing he mentions is um, we have another cultural paradigm about the importance of getting things out, you know, saying things that are on your mind. And if you don't let it out, it's going to, you know, it'll stay bottled up inside of you and it's going to hurt you. There's actually very little evidence to support this idea of catharsis, that if you say all the angry things and hurtful things that you're thinking, somehow that's going to make you feel better. The opposite actually is usually true. And so he says, put off saying things today that shouldn't be said until tomorrow. Maybe never. Just stop for a minute. Just don't say the thing you want to say and, and tell yourself that you'll say it tomorrow because by then you'll probably have come to your senses and you'll, you'll be, have calmed down and you'll be a little bit more patient, you know, taking breaks from the situation. Um, another Mm -hmm. really good strategy that I love that has been a big one for me is I found it's easy to blame your kids for the fact that you are tired when it's actually your fault. Like, um, Mm -hmm. when you shouldn't blame your kids for you staying up too late watching Netflix or the fact that Mm -hmm. you have not fed your spirit or the fact that you again, have not accessed community or relied on others or asked for help. Make sure that you're in a good place yourself so that you can help your kids kind of going back to the preparation module. Um, nobody in the ER is going to pat me on the back if I'm just running around frantic and I'm sweating and, you know, throwing papers everywhere, but I'm not actually helping anyone. People are just going to be like, look, you're not doing your job, like get your act together. And so I think Mm -hmm. maybe that's part of it is like, what do you need to do as a mom to get your act together so that you can be in a good place to be a good mom? Well, and this one's convicting because how often do we punish our children for our failure to prepare and to see this as a job and to see this as a professional? You know, if you know, and I'm speaking to to myself here, that staying up till midnight makes you cranky the next day then why are you staying up till midnight you know or if or you, if, you, you like you said if you change the schedule without telling your kids mm-hmm. and then you're and then everybody freaks out and you're like why are you guys freaking out like well yeah i mean how you dare you freak things. out i took you swimming all day well also he's a two-year-old and that's hard on him and you know and we just need to we just need to take care of ourselves and not blame our kids for the struggles that we are having as a result of our own decisions mm-hmm. and also that that involved a level of honesty with ourselves sometimes we're like well i can't reach out because there's nobody like i have to do this all alone that's not true you know there's so many different opportunities for you to get the help you need Jackie and I live in different states and (laughs) we support each other all the time we actually have a support group of moms we literally Marco Polo each Mm -hmm. other multiple times a week we are college friends to talk about parenting yeah Yeah, because we all needed it because we're all in different places right now where it's easy to be more isolated and we know you can't be isolated and be a happy person so we Marco Polo all the time and it's Saved my sanity and my children more times than I can count. Um, okay, the next thing, create structure. You want to talk about this just about if we have rules and responsibilities and routines. And again, these these take time to create. They're not in an effort to make our kids perfect. We shouldn't, you know, I guess you create these rules, these responsibilities and routines in an effort to teach your kids and it takes them time to catch on. So don't be angry at your kid because he didn't, he broke the rules a few times. Well, that's just kids, you know, kids being kids. I heard somebody say once, um, and this, if this doesn't, if this doesn't punch you in the, in the gut, it certainly did me. Um, lazy moms clean up after their kids. Ever heard that? Like, <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah. That's that's our great friend Becky Rowley. Is it Becky said that. That's right. Holy cow. Yeah. yeah. Everything Becky says is great. What that means is it is much harder <laughs> to teach your kids and hold them accountable 
for cleaning up after themselves. It's just way more work. And so it's easier, mm-hmm. in, in a sense, it's easier to just do the cleaning yourself. But And then feel like resentment we about them. Exactly. For then you feel resentment. Then you feel tired. Then you're so what super you do. worn Get out. Get rid of most of your toys and only have them keep what toys they can clean up. I'm that's not right. kidding. Throw most of my toys. toys are up in my closet. Okay, anyways, we won't get No, there. no, that's that's good. That's good advice. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we should we should add this as well. But if you feel like you're just running around like a chicken with your head cut off, think about how you can create structure in your home. Structure means rules, responsibilities, routines. You can invest five minutes to save an hour, or you can just spend your life hacking something to death and never really get any farther. You know, one thing that my husband and I have done is we have a monthly meeting to talk about goals for each of our kids. And it's not long. We have, you know, just a brief conversation about where they're at and how we feel about how our kids are doing or things that we think they might be struggling with. And we talk about things that we want to emphasize or focus on in the in the coming month to help them. Again, that is a calm, happy, monthly thing that is a structure in our home that helps us to help our kids. You know, building routines, that should be obvious. Um, we are going to do a future episode where we talk about like how to create routines or how to implement rules because some people might struggle with that. Um, but it is worth it. That That is a, a very, very worthwhile thing. If you don't feel like you've got a lot of structure or you're just everything's just sort of crazy. Maybe invest some time into creating some systems that will reduce misbehavior and make everybody's lives smoother. So, mm-hmm. so Jackie, do you want to talk about showing love? Yes. I mean, it's that classic five to one ratio that I feel like we mention almost every episode. Try to have five positive things for everyone negative. Fill up that bank account of love It is very easy as a parent to harp on the negative because you're scared of it. You feel like, oh, if I don't catch this, then they're going to keep doing it and ah, you know, or this is bugging me. But little positive Mm -hmm. things, putting your arm around your kid, mentioning, hey, I really liked how you did that. Everybody, we were nice in the car. Go us. You know, just mention those good things. And Mm -hmm. that goes a long way. Show love. Learn your kids' love language. For kids, time is almost always the biggest one. Do your kids need more quality time? Do you have enough time with your kids where there's no fighting or opportunity for conflict? Do you have regular moments throughout the day where you can just be with them and enjoy them and feel that love and energy of We are a family. This is us. We are there for each other. You want to create that with them. Um, And again, if you're not feeling that or finding that, you can you can build these into your regular routine. For us, that's dinner time, bedtime routines. I try to do something a little something with each kid every day, whether that's just, you know, sitting, doing a little reading a book or, you know, there's ways that you can just sneak some of this one-on-one time and again see that as a valuable use of your time do you want to say anything else about that no that's good I totally agree if if you need to set a goal and find a way to make that concrete if you need to carry around a counter and count positive interactions with each other if that's Mm -hmm. what you need to do do it like find a way to increase positive things and it makes such a huge difference and it makes a huge difference to you when people do that to you doesn't it Mm -hmm. like when people compliment Mm -hmm. you and talk about what a great job you're doing you do better you Mm -hmm. you you stride you strengthen and the minute you get criticism and you get shot down you do worse (laughs) like like we know this intuitively Mm -hmm. and yet it's so hard for us to put that into practice isn't it well and i'll say one fear that i often struggle with is if i don't harp on the negative then they won't learn that it's negative isn't it my job as a parent to teach them it's negative so let me illustrate with a story so um we recently moved and we've got this big upstairs bedroom we've got three little boys we decided that at least for the time being we're gonna have all three boys in that big bedroom because how fun and honestly they've always been in the same room and anyway so but inevitably three boisterous busy little boys it does not matter how tired they are or what time we put them to bed if we put them all down they're going to hustle and rustle and tussle their way to sleep it's hilarious because i'm so curious about at what point do they just fall asleep because they will just be resting and then all of a sudden they just drop where they're at and are asleep and it's like i just want to see that happen you know like tussling and then all of a sudden they're asleep anyways <laughs> no, they but just dropped it lately <laughs> They've started this new thing where they jump off of their dresser 
And oh, no. it's so terrible. And not only so Carter and I had this moment last night where we are like, we're failing as parents because <laughs> we have the bedtime routine. We wear them out all day long. We have them ride bikes after dinner for an hour and a half to get them ready to go to sleep. Okay. Like, why don't they just sleep? Why are they disobeying us? It's so frustrating. And I was like, do we need to go up there and be the big bad monster who's like, you're not obeying us because they have to learn to obey. They have to learn responsibility. But we thought about it and we're like, we would not be able to do that right now without doing something wrong. So we thought about it. We decided, okay, we're going to have a jar and we're going to fill it with marbles. And every time we notice that they obey, they get marbles in the jar. And our kids have been dying to go camping. And we thought, okay, if they can fill this jar we can go camping in my parents' backyard because obviously with coronavirus, we can't go to actual campsites. So we thought, okay, this will help them go to sleep because we'll say, if you want to go camping, we have to trust that you will know how to control yourselves and actually go to bed on time. Anyways, so there, my point with this is like, for every issue that there is, there are ways to teach children without needing to be this big, bad, monster, scary thing. And the times that you... And nobody does this perfectly. And I think I'm going way too off topic onto a previous podcast and no, future no, podcast. But, but my point is that before you go up and be the big, bad, I'm bigger, meaner, stronger than you parent, mm-hmm. there are ways to teach children things without scaring them, without being coercive. There really are. And it just takes self-control. It takes thought and sometimes creativity yeah (laughs) and creativity and we're not going to be perfect at it i'm here raising my hand saying i have not been perfect at this but i guess i say all this to let you know you don't need to be afraid you are still being a good parent if you choose to take your time in how you teach things yeah yeah all right we're gonna move on to the next strategy so this was mentioned by our friend chelsea in our marco polo group and I really resonated with this because it's a strategy that I use often, especially as a mother of four, where so often I find myself in chaos, Mm -hmm. (laughs) where all four kids have needs and things are crazy town and the water is boiling and, you know, it's just madness. And it is easy to want to get sucked up into the, oh my gosh, there's too much going on. There's all these, uh, my brain is taking notice of so many different things and I just can't focus well one strategy is stepping outside of yourself and noticing what is going on not judging it but just recognizing wow I have a lot of demands on my brain right now as you find yourself in these situations where there are lots of different alarms going off for lack of a better term in your life there's worth in stepping outside of the situation And instead of reacting to all of those alarms, just take notice. What are those alarms? Which one is most important? How are you feeling right now? Mm, Yeah. You know, sometimes those alarms are the fact that you actually really need to go to the bathroom or you are really hungry. It's hard to triage what matters most. And so taking this time to just take a second, step back, be the eye of the storm as a really great parenting guru talks about Linda Iyer. She she has nine kids. She always talked about being the eye of the storm. Mm-hmm. And I think there's worth in just seeing where you're at and what's going on from an outside yeah, perspective. Yeah, and it makes you less reactive, right? It allows you to be more proactive in thinking about what to do as opposed to just responding to whatever is most urgent and in your face at that moment. Uh, helps you to think maybe, mm-hmm. maybe on a higher plane. I, I, I like that a lot. That's cool. And then kind of the last thought is, just in general, showing compassion, giving your kids the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, our kids aren't perfect and gosh, we aren't either, right? Um, I love uh, something else that Dr. Wallace Goddard said. He said, frame the problem as situational, temporary, and limited, both to yourself and them. And this is a strategy that cognitive therapists use as well. Instead of saying, oh, this always happens, or I'm never going to get out of this, or we are going to be stuck here forever, or, you know, just think of it as, you know, this is what's going on right now to this person in this situation and just deal with what's going on right now. Again, a lot of parenting is just sort of being in the moment and dealing with the moment as it comes. And we can't always see what's going to come. We can't see how quickly things are going to change or not change, how long we're going to have to be running the race. I will say that 
I was teaching parenting classes long before I actually had children. And the biggest difference between what I understood before having children and after having them is that what makes parenting difficult is not the nature of the task, but the duration. It is the running of the race. It is a marathon. Being a parent is a marathon. And some of us don't have very good shoes. (laughs) Um, um, and instead of seeing it as, again, as a task to be completed or as a burden that's on our shoulders, recognize the joy that was meant to come to us throughout this. When my kids look back on their time with me, what I hope they will remember is not a mom who thought they were in the way, who thought they were too loud or too crazy or not a joy to be around. I want them to remember me loving them, being with them delighting in them I want them to feel like I am home to them yeah I love that and I think that that gift that we can give our children of them not feeling like a burden of filling that tank for them is powerful and will allow them to then go on and do great things and become wonderful human beings and that is what we want to offer to you guys today rethink how you think about motherhood and Be the mom that you wish you had or be the mom, if you had a great experience with your mom, be like that. Yeah, I love that. Thanks, Jackie. All right, well, thank you guys for joining us today. Hopefully be back soon. Maybe not in another year and a half, but who knows? (laughs) We're busy busy raising our kids. (laughs) So (laughs) anyways, all right. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys.